You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. Welcome to WTUZ Radio Podcast. I am your host, Rhonda. And today on January 11th, 2021, we are introducing a new series to WTUZ Radio, but not new if you are a listener on our blog talk radio back in the day and YouTube, where we did a series called Illusions. And the purpose of Illusions was we reviewed movies in the content of from a spiritual aspect, historical slash political, uh, and bringing to light what was the hidden message in that particular movie. Uh, my original co-host to that series was uh, a gentleman named Kelly Kells. He has since transitioned. Uh, he is much loved, must um, much loved, missed, but I know he is on his journey and he was prepared. So this reviving of this series is de- dedicated to you, Brother Kell. All right, family. So we are going to review on illusions where it is art imitating life. <laughs> We're going to review the Netflix series called Bridgerton. Yes, that particular series was released on December 25th of 2020, and it is a production of Chandra Rhines. Uh, she is a melanated woman that has had much success in the TV world. And she recently, over the last couple of years, cut a lucrative deal with Netflix. So this is her first series, to my knowledge, on Netflix called Bridgerton, which it has been very successful thus far. Uh, I got wind of it and um, took a look at the first episode and absolutely loved it. So this particular series, it is her mixing historical, not even so much events, but historical characters with a little bit of soap opera-ishness to it. Okay, so you have a bunch of scandal, et cetera, et cetera. But overall, as um, Chandra Rhymes is known for, it is extremely entertaining. Um, everybody that I know, I'm only speaking on the women, <laughs> I can't really speak on the men, that has watched this particular series, we finished it within a couple days. Uh, I enjoyed it so much from an entertainment perspective that uh, I even saved a couple of episodes to bring in the new year. So the reason that I chose to review this series is because of the characters that uh, Chandra Rhymes chose. It is set in England and um, it is under the reign of King George and Queen Charlotte. 
okay? And what caught my eye um, in the series and a couple of other people's eyes is that she did depict Queen Charlotte as melanated, which Queen Charlotte is the only, she is the only melanated royal that has been admitted by the crown to date. Now, if you are a part of the Truth Uncompromised family and you have followed us in our series where we did extensive research on how the seat of throne throughout Europe and around the world, the original seats of throne was held by melanated people. And Europe was not an exception. So meaning that it's Africa, Asia, Europe, and Americas. So specifically with Europe at the time, the only uh, that they're emitted now as a melanated, a.k.a. Black royal, is Queen Charlotte. But also her husband, Queen no, Queen. King George was also melanated, okay? But in this particular series, Chandra Rhine, she went with what was uh, the official quote, quote, narrative, which is the omission of Queen Charlotte being melanated. So also in this series, they have one of the star characters. His name is Simon. And he is called the Duke of Hastings. And let me tell y'all something. Now, this, this gentleman, just put it aside. This is a woman thing, okay? Because Chandra, girl, girl, all of us were swooning over this brother, Simon. <laughs> this melanated Duke of Hastings. Um, just swag, very handsome, um, young man. So he is depicted as a melanated man. Uh, his father was also melanated as well as his mother. So I was, of course, very happy that um, Chandra Rhymes got a chance to put the story on and to depict melanated characters in the story, and specifically, she was able to depict Queen Charlotte as being melanated. But even throughout the story, um, the Duke of Hastings, he is not the only melanated person depicted in this series. What was shown in this series, which is probably more accurate, was there were many Melanated folks that held seats of, of power, different titles of nobility. And there was a lot of mixing of the races. So meaning Caucasian and melanated people marrying. Because unlike today, especially in the Americas, where everything is determined on race, in Europe, it was determined on your status, meaning your breeding, what family you came from, 
Okay. So in this particular series, Bridgerton, they depicted, uh, it was all about women marrying the right family, marrying into the right family for the sole purpose of security. And that also followed suit for the men too, because she also depicted in a series where men were marrying uh, women based on their particular bloodline and standing as well, okay? So as we always say, you always follow that money, right? So um, they did an excellent job there, and it kind of lines up also when we see the change of power structure from the melanated, what we call black nobility, the original melanated black nobility to Caucasian rule. Because, because there was so much uh, intermarrying, so you had uh, what you call mulattoes and all of that jazz, the bloodline started getting whiter and whiter. Okay, and I'm sure in some cases they just, you know, took a relative that was mostly Caucasian or all Caucasian to start sitting on those seats of thrones. Because I think it only takes two two generations to kind of lighten up the bloodline. Okay, so that's one take on how the particular royal bloodline of Europe went from melanated to Caucasian. In addition to that, you also had a lot of wars going on where you had the um, King James line, the Stuarts were ousted, pretty much ousted. Um, and you had a lot of interfighting among those melanated kingdoms over different territories. All right, so... Uh, I'm also reviewing this for a, another reason because I'm sitting minding my business as I normally do. And I was looking at a documentary on New York City's uh, Central Transit. And it was actually going over the architecture of that, uh, of the uh, New York, City's Grand Central Station, the proper name for it. And so, which is fascinating within itself. You can do an entire show within itself on that because even the, the, the even from the structure of the building itself being French inspired onto all the different symbols, a lot of esoteric symbols, uh, astrology symbols, etc., so that within itself, you can do an entire entire show. But I noticed one of the plaques on the wall, um, just a real quick take of it, was dedicated to a Hastings. I said, er, wait, what? You mean the Duke of Hastings? So I said, okay, let me kind of do a little research on this Hastings name. Okay, so before I do that, let me back up a, uh, a bit and just give you a high level of Bridgerton. Uh, if you want to check it out, which I do 
recommend you check it out. You'll be entertained. Um, now it is soap opera-ish. So for the men, don't come from a, for a sister because I am telling you up front, it is soap opera-ish. Um, but women, you're going to absolutely love it. And we're all, everybody that I've spoken to, we're all sitting back just waiting for, uh, season two. And ideally enough, it, it's interesting because a couple of the characters, the melanated characters played in Bridgerton look, literally look like people I know. Uh, Queen Charlotte looks exactly like uh, Sis I know. Uh, shout out to Sis Melba. She knows what I'm talking about. She's been getting teased of it. We've been calling her Queen Charlotte saying, yeah, I could have got the hookup. Um, and then another one of the characters who is uh, the Duke of Hastings, I'm going to say his big mama. Uh, she really wasn't his big mama, but she served in that role to raise him look exactly like a good friend of mine. We go way back to our college days. I mean, they look spitting image, except that lady has uh, the character in Bridgerton has light eyes. So I just kind of dropped my mouth uh, because both of those actresses are from uh, London. I'm not sure specifically London, but they are European. They're melanated, but they're European. Okay. But it doesn't surprise me because as we start doing, melanated people start doing their genealogy, we are now finding our genealogy links back to Europe. Part of our genealogy links back to Europe. Okay. So it's like we have both feet on both continents. Um, on the indigenous Indian side, yeah, indigenous Indian, the original indigenous Indian were black, melanated, swathy, tawny. Okay. And then also we have the other foot on the Europe continent. Okay. And we, we're tracing back where our uh, European lineage is coming on the father's side. So meaning the uh, male lineage came over to the Americas and married into the uh, indigenous Indian um, culture. Okay, so that is the reason why melanated folk in America we carry those last surnames of European descent. So it's not that we're carrying these names because of, through slavery. That's not what we're finding in the records. As a matter of fact, we're not finding where our ancestors were even owned or bound by slavery. What we're finding are those names, those surnames, those European surnames are coming through via a relative that is from Europe. Okay. So the whole story, the whole notion of melanated people not carrying, the melanated people of the Americas not carrying the last name 
of their lineage and they're carrying slave names is false. Unless you find in the records that your ancestors are African and your ancestors dropped their African name and took on a slave master's surname. And even if that is the case, you can still look at those records and you can tell the race of who that particular slave master was. It listed. And guess what? Yes, melanated, a.k.a. black folk, also owned slaves. Um, those melanated, a.k.a. black folks of Europe owned slaves, as well as um, Indian tribes, okay? All right, so let's get back to Bridgerton. <laughs> all right, so I just took a snippet off of Wikipedia to give you all their official version of um, what the show is about. Uh, this is, again, a, a Netflix series. Bridgerton is an American streaming television period drama series created by Chris Van Dusen and produced by Chandra Rhines. It is based on Julia Quinn's novels set in the competitive world of Regency London during the season when deputants are presented at court. It premieres on Netflix on December 25th, 2020. The drama centers on the Bridgington family, Violet, Dodger, Lady Bridgington, her four sons, Anthony, Benedict, Colin, and Gregory, and her four daughters, Daphne, Eloise, Francisca, and Hysinth. Also featured are the Featheringtons, uh, Portia, Lady Featherington, her husband, the Baron, and their three daughters, Philippia, Prudence, and Penelope. All right. So, um, again, check it out. It was really, it was really, it's really, really a good series. And like I said, I can't wait till season two. Shout out to Chandra Rhymes. Um, yeah. I, I appreciate it. I think you did a great job on it. All right, let's get back to this Hastings now. So the Duke of Hastings um, is a character. He was courting one of the uh, Bridgington daughters. Okay, now the Duke of Hastings, remember, and that's when I, I, I talk about these things, these dukes, these earls, uh, lords, nobles, those are titles. Okay, so the Duke of Hastings was his title, but his name uh, was Simon. Okay, that's the dude that has the title Duke of Hastings. All right, so that name Hastings, and that's the melanated man with the swag and <laughs> the Bridgington series. Okay, so I'm out in my business, as I said, and um, in Grand Central Station in New York, I just, uh, I was watching a documentary and I saw Zoom pass a plaque with dedicated to a Hastings. I said, oh boy, now I'm going to have to go and look and see what up with them Hastings because I did, I thought that it was just, a fictional 
name. You know what I'm saying? I'm th thinking, oh, okay, it's a fictional name in this particular series. Although I do know, of course, uh, Queen Charlotte and, um, you know, King George, they actually are documented uh, people. I just figured everybody else would be fictional characters. But the Hastings name is not fictional. Okay, so um, I started with the House of Names and I was surprised how far back the name goes and we're going to get a little deeper. So the Hastings family clan, um, the land of colorful tartans and scrolling bagpipes as their ancient homeland in Scotland, Hereditary surnames, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was adopted to, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, to fairly general rules during the late Middle Ages, names that were derived from lo localities became increasingly widespread. Okay, so I shouldn't, yeah, 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 that because I go here a lot is yeah, yeah, yeah to me, but uh, so you all know. So in other words, a lot of these surnames that people carry to these to this day. They are based on territories. Okay. So folk took on that surname based on the territory that their family was associated with. Okay. So that's basically what they're saying. So they said local names originally denoted a proprietorship of the village or a state. The Norman knight Robert of Hastings distinguished himself at the Battle of Hastings and was granted the town of Hastings by William the Conqueror as reward. Okay. Uh, the surname Hastings was first found in Sussex, where the family were descendants from Robert of uh, de Hastings, who having assisted William the Conqueror at the Battle of Hastings was given the town of Hastings in gratitude. He became the mayor of Hastings. Okay, so I can't remember um, up in the Netflix series. Uh, let's see if um, Simon's father's name was Robert. Child, I can't remember. So y'all gonna have to forgive me. Um, I was hoping that they would have said that that was his father's name. I can't remember his father's name, Simon, the Duke of Hastings, because they do show his father, who was something else, y'all. His father was off the hook. Can't remember if they called him Robert. I don't even think they even called his name because they called his title, all right? Uh, so once again, even as I read through this, um, when we did our series of the Black nobility, the forgotten Black nobility on uh, Truth and Compromise, you can catch those that particular series on YouTube. We show pictures, you know, lost pictures or hidden pictures of William the Conqueror, who was also melanated, all right? So now I don't know for sure if Hastings was melanated, I'm kind of assuming that he was hel uh, melanated. This is uh, Robert Hastings, who uh, became mayor of Hastings. 
Okay, so it says another branch that some claim to be older was found at Philongley in Warwickshire. This place, the name of which is variously written in Doomsday Book, is supposed to have been the earliest seat of the rich and powerful family of Hastings, who held many offices of distinguished during several reigns. So in other words, because y'all, oh shoot, William the Conqueror go back pretty far, y'all. So them Hastings, they've been rocking pretty, pretty far back with being the king's them boys. <laughs> or the king's them boys, okay? So uh, one of the records of the names was Henry D. Hastings, 1235C, uh, who was created Baron in twelve sixty four by Simon de Montfort. Okay, so I found that interesting because in the show Bridgington, the Duke of Hastings, that character, the Duke of Hastings' name was Simon. So I found that interesting that um, the first recorded name of Hastings, meaning Henry de Hastings. He was a baron, and um, he was given that title by Simon de Montfort. He led the Londoners at the Battle of Luz. His son, John Hastings, first baron Hastings, 1262, fought in 1290s, Wars in the Scotland, Ireland, and France under King Edward I. His son, John Hastings, second Baron Hastings, 1287, served in the First War of Scottish Independence under King Edward II and later became governor of Kenilworth Castle. Okay, um, so I'm wondering if John was depicted as Simon's father. All right. But anyway, let me go ahead on. Sir William Hastings created Baron Hastings by Edward, uh, what is that, the fourth, who was beheaded by Richard III. See y'all, all this dramatization in Europe, always some drama, always some drama and overthrowing of kings and taking over territory. But anyway, and who was beheaded by Richard III, built a strong castle in Ash, Ashby de Lozac in Leicestershire. I'm probably butchering these names, so forgive me, my European folk. I apologize up in advance. <laughs> in the reign of the former monarch, in which Queen, in which uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, while in custody of the Earl of Huntingdon, was for some time kept in confinement. Ashby Castle was garrisoned for his majesty by the Earl's second son, Colonel Henry Hastings, who was made general of the king's forces in the Midland countries and for his services to the royal cause, was in 1643 created bearing Bearing, I'm sorry, Lawborough. Okay, so again in England, another early record was found at Ashton Canloff in 
Warwickshire. John D. Hastings, into whose possession it had come, claimed by prescription in the 13th of Edward I a court leap, which assees a bread of beer, waves, gallows, and free women, all which were allowed. All right, so um, let me see. We kind of went over all of that. They just kind of go over the various uh, Hastings, and all of them held noble titles. Um, so we move to the Hastings settlers in the United States. You had Thomas Hastings, uh, 1605, in English immigrant from Ipswich, Suffolk, who sailed aboard the Elizabeth to Watertown, Massachusetts in 1634. Um, so, uh, Edward Hastings, who came in the Isle of Providence in 1635. You had Edward Hastings, uh, who arrived in Barbados in 1635. Uh, William Hastings, who landed in Virginia in 1636. Walter Hastings, who arrived in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1659. Okay, so basically, the Hastings came over to the America starting in 1605. Okay, give me some water. Okay, so um, as we said, the Hastings start coming over to the Americas in 1605. And just another note, I want to point out that this is also how the surnames of the Americas, the surnames that folks carry today in the Americas got here, all right? The catch is, which that, that should be no unknown to anyone. The catch is those folk in the 1600s that were carrying those surnames were melanated folks, okay? Caucasians started coming over to the Americas on indentured servant contracts and and as well as melanated Europeans came over on indentured serv servant contracts who neither one of them, the Caucasians or the melanated folks, did not have ties to the uh, crown, the European or black nobility. So they came over for, you know, a couple of reasons, some to escape uh, political prison. So they were prisoners. They rather took the deal to come over to the Americas to work off their sentence. 
Uh, some came for opportunity and they came on an indentured servant contract to work off their debt to travel over to the Americas. That was in the both, ca both cases for Caucasians and melanated people. All right. So as we just read with the with the Hastings, this particular name, they are tied. They go pretty far back with the crown being the king's boys now. All right. So that name rings connections. So when the Hastings hit the shores of the Americas, you better believe that they were coming over here to do business on behalf of the crown, all right? And we're going to get into a little bit of uh, that Hastings name on how they've been maneuvering in the Americas. Uh, okay, so then they also talked about uh, Judith Hastings coming over in the 1700s, Thomas Hastings coming over in 1796, uh, then another John Hastings came over in 1803. Brian Hastings came over to Philadelphia in 1811. Alexandria Hastings uh, came over 1812. Robert Hastings came over 1812. And then another James Hastings came in Allegheny, Pennsylvania, 1838. All right. So I also want to note that most Caucasian bloodline, if they do their genealogy, they're going to see where their people started really coming to the Americas in the 1900s. Caucasian people whose family came over in the 1800s had some type of connection or held some sort of title, okay? Um, if Caucasian people had uh, have ties to the 1700s, meaning their line, they can trace their genealogy back to the 1700s where their folks coming over to the Americas, then more than likely they should be able to trace their family heritage back to some of these nobles. Uh, so meaning some of these folks with these titles that tie back to the crown that have connections, right? Okay, so here we go. Or otherwise, um, melanated people, when you see your folks coming over in the 1600s, 1700s, you're going to see them coming under um, indentured, indentured servant contracts. Okay. All right. And it, it's hard to get those records because you do have to go look at the ship manifest. All right, and that, that's in both cases. Even with Caucasian folks, you have to go look at the ship manifest. And if you are getting stuck, I know Caucasians know to do this 
once they run or they hit a brick wall in the Americas, they know it, you know, that hasn't been hit in history that Caucasians are not originally from Americas. So they know that they have to pull ship manifests and pull uh, records from Europe to find their folks. Well, guess what, melanated people? You have to do the same. You have to do the same as well. So if you run across records where you see Ireland, you see um, England, uh French, France, Germany, uh, you see the islands, Barbados, you, any one of what we call the um, Caribbeans, you still can trace your folks or look at it this way. There is still a chance, even in the Caribbeans, that your folks still may tie back to Europe. Okay, because as I just read, just on this uh, Hastings name, uh, one of the Hastings, I know I saw Barbados here somewhere. Uh, yeah, Edward went to Barbados. And each one of these house of names that I go back and research, there has not been one that has not also hit that Caribbean coastline as well as Canada. And uh, Hastings is no exception because you also had Hastings that were in the 19th century who were going to Canada. So uh, you had uh, another Robert Hastings in 1834. I don't know if it's that the same Robert. Robert. It could have been the same Robert. But anyhow... He went to St. John, uh, then we had Isabella. They must have all been on the same boat or ship because you have Robert, Isabella, Fanny, Mary, and Sarah all went to, in 1834, in Canada, St. John's. All right, so the, the purpose of them just spreading out, period, Okay, let me just get through this. Bear with me, family, because I, I want you all to get a clear picture. So when you're doing research on surnames, you will see a clear pattern, all right? So you're going to see these particular surnames hitting the shores of the Americas. You're going to see them hitting uh, what we're calling the Caribbeans today. You're going to also see them hitting Australia. You're going to see them hitting Canada, okay, and New Zealand, okay? So those Hastings, the Hastings name, they also hit, uh, in the 19th century, they also went to Australia, and then they also went to um, New Zealand, all right? And the reason that I'm bringing these things up is for the purpose to show you the pattern of how the Europeans came to the Americas, these Europeans that have connections and ties back to the crown for the purpose of commerce. 
they were coming to these different places that had been uh, colonized where Europe set up colonies for the purpose of doing business. So to manage businesses for the purpose of the crown. All right. So um, they kind of also on House of Names go over some notable Hastings. They have uh, Bob Hastings, who was in American radio, film, television, um, best known for his roles in McHaley's Navy and All in the Family. Oh, stop playing. Mm. Michael uh, Mahon Hastings was an American journalist, best known for his uh, Rolling Stone article, The Runaway General. Um, just gonna, oh, then you have one that served Leroy General Kester. I'm sorry, General Kester Lovejoy Haston. He uh, served as the quartermaster of the U.S. Army. Uh, we had Wilmot Reed Hasting, American. Now, this would caught my eye. This what caught my eye. Don't nothing get past me. Nothing, nothing gets past me. This what caught my eye also when I was doing research on the Hastings. Wilmot Reed Hastings Jr. Born 1960. American entrepreneur and education philanthropist. Founder and CEO of Netflix. Huh? Wait, what? You mean we have a Hastings that's the founder of Netflix? Who we have a show called Bridgington where his family surname, the Hastings, show up and we have the Hastings document, documented in history, that particular surname going back pretty, pretty far with power and influence, huh? And now you CEO of Netflix? Child, I can't make this stuff up. <laughs> so you have uh, Smith H. Hastings, Served as, this was in 1843 to 1905. He was a Union colonel in the American Civil War, Medal of Honor. Uh, Then you had another first class, Joe Hastings, American soldier, awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor in 1945. Um, okay, then we had Sir Charles Hastings, 1794, English founder of the British Medical Association, sixth son of James Hastings, uh, rector of Martley, Worcestershire, I never pronounced that right, y'all, born at Ludlow. Um, then you have Josephine, Wendy Stellar Hastings, a British volunteer and was appointed member of the Order of the British Empire on December 29, 2018 for voluntary service to the disadvantaged people of Kenya or Chagari, Kenya. Uh, Okay, and then um, 
I'll just list the last two Hastings. Mr. David Robert Hastings, MBE, British former chief executive for the Stride Levin Regeneration Community Interest Company, was appointed member of the Order of the British Empire on December 29th. Uh, 2018 for service to economic regeneration in West Dunbartonshire. Okay, and as I'm reading some of these names, uh, specifically, like I just read, Dunbartonshire in the Americas, there's schools, there's university, there's streets, there's towns, cities municipalities uh, named after these European names. Now, I know for a fact in the city of Chicago, in the melanated neighborhood, there is a high school called Dunbar, okay? All right, so Brian Frederick Hastings, 1940, retired New Zealand cricketer. All right, so that's the Hastings folk. Just wanted to give you an overview of how far back that name goes and some of the notable Hastings from back up in the day on to, to, on to today. And what are the odds that the CEO of Netflix is a Hasting? All right, so let's move right along. That's not how the only way that Hasting um, got their shine or got their connects. So let's go to um okay. Yep, we talked about um Reed Hastings, the, the founder of Netflix. I was surprised that they listed it in House of Names. Cause I I didn't have those receipts. I was just gonna say that he may be listed, but hey, house of name, bruh list you as a hasting so my intuition on that was right okay so this is how the hastings got their shine family bear with me let me get some water all right the battle of hasting <clears throat> okay this is just Pure Wikipedia, folks. Pure Wikipedia. This stuff is not hidden. Only thing is, is hidden <clears throat> is whether or not the folks were melanated or whether or not they were Caucasian or whether or not they uh, were mulatto and when, <clears throat> who married whom, meaning which melanated line married a Caucasian line to blend the bloodlines, because as we've been telling you since we started uh, the investigation into the forgotten black nobility, over in Europe, the idea of color did not exist. The idea of race did not exist. It was more about your family bloodline standing. So meaning... If I'm a melanated person of nobility and I marry a Caucasian person, 
And let's say my lineage of nobility is higher than that particular person's nobility and they're Caucasian. It did not matter. That person became part of a quote, quote, elite bloodline. It was more about your pedigree, as they say, not about color. The idea of color was introduced in the Americas as the seat of power changed over from melanated to Caucasian. So it was time for the Caucasians because that melanated nobility bloodline decided to put the Caucasians in the seats of power. So that's when race, the invention of race came into play in order to start putting Caucasian people on. And then you got into what they call uh, the black codes and the, the Jim Crow laws and all of that jazz in the South. Okay, which essentially started eroding the power of melanated people to give Caucasian people their seat at the table. All right. Okay. Okay. So the Battle of Hastings, Battle of Hastings was fought on October 4th, 1066 between the Norman French army of William, the Duke of Normandy, and an English army under the Anglo-Saxon king, Harold Godswinson. Okay, so even Anglo-Saxon, notice a shocker to some folk, you go to the Black Nobility series, on YouTube, under Truth Uncompromised, we discuss the Anglo-Saxons. The original Anglo-Saxons were melanated. We were able to pull the crest, the family crest of the Anglo-Saxon. They were melanated, which would make sense if we're talking 1066 uh, and if the seat of power did not take place for the Caucasians until late 1800s, early 1900s. So it would only be logical for Anglo-Saxons to originally be melanated. And we were able to pull the family crest to prove that. All right, so, and you can also... Um, check out another good source. Let me bring it up. I should know it by heart. But it's uh, J.A. Rogers. And it is called... Uh, no, y'all, a lot of y'all probably already know what I'm about to say, you researchers. Um, Pull Up Nature Knows No Color Line by J.A. Rogers. Uh, it's a great source. You can get it on Kindle. You can also order the book. Uh, he does a wonderful job giving you the family crest. Okay, he shows you those family crests. And he explains it, um, who was whom. And he even also talks about when 
the intermarrying was going on as well. All right. So the Battle of Hastings was fought on October 14, 1066 between the Norman French army of William, the Duke of Normandy and an English army under the Anglo-Saxon King Harold Godwinson. Beginning the Norman conquest of England, it took place approximately seven miles northwest of Hastings, close to the present-day town of Battle of Essex, of, of Sussex, and was a decisive Norman victory. All right, so Hastings, real quick, is a seaside town in Borough in East Sussex on the south coast of England, 24 miles east of the um, county town of Lewes and 53 southeast of London. All right. So the background to the battle was the death of the childless King Edward the Conqueror, the Confessor, sorry, in January 1066 which set up succession struggles between several claimants to his throne. Harold was crowned king shortly after Edward's death, but faced invasion by William, his own brother, uh, Tostig, and the Norwegian king, Harold um, Herodotta, or Harold III of Norway. Okay, so Harold Her- 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 III of Norway and Tostig defeated a hastily, hastily gathered army of Englishmen at the Battle of Fulford on September uh, 20th, 1066. All right, so anyone, ho- anyone with the last surname of Fulford now y'all, now you should know where that name came from. Okay, it was based on a territory, like most of these surnames are, which was hence my point earlier. All right, so they uh, kind of served them up on the Battle of Fulford uh, in September 1066, and were in turn defeated by Harold at the Battle of Stanford Bridge five days later. Okay, so y'all getting, are y'all catching these names and associating it to things that are named in America? So here they have this as Stanford, but makes me think of Stanford University. All right, but anyway, the deaths of Tostig and um, Harold III of Norway at Stamford Bridge left William as Harold's only serious opponent. While Harold and his forces were recovering, William landed his invasion forces in the south of England at Pevensey on the 28th of uh, September 1066 and established a beachhead for his conquest of the kingdom, Harold was forced to march south swiftly, gathering forces as he went. 
The exact number present at the battle are unknown as even modern estimates vary considerably. The uh, composition of the forces is clearer. The English army was composed of um, almost entirely of infantry and had few archers, whereas only about half of the invaded force was infantry, the rest split equally between cavalry and archers. Harold appeared to have tried to surprise William, but the scouts found his army and reported its arrival to William, who marched from Hastings to the battlefield to confront Harold. The battle lasted from 9 a.m. to dusk. Early efforts of the invaders to break the English battle lines had little effect, Therefore, the Normans adopted the tactic of pretending to flee in panic and then turned on their pursuers. Harold's death, probably near the end of the battle, led to the retreat and defeat of most of his army. After further marching and some skirmishes, William was crowned as king on Christmas Day, uh, 1066. Now I'm wondering about that Christmas day, y'all. I'm just, I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Okay, so I'm not gonna read the rest of this because the purpose of this is uh, just to give you a snippet of how that Hasting name became the Hasting name, and how those associated with the surname of Hasting how their family came into power of prominence, of being tied to the seat of power, all right, to um, William, you know, to King William. And it was basically because of the Battle of Hastings, okay? So uh, Hastings was a territory, all right? So it's uh, a borough, in East Sussex, okay? So that's where that name Hastings came into play. Uh, so back to the U.S. Real quick, we already talked about um, one of the Hastings showing up in a plaque dedicated in uh, the Grand Central Station in New York to a Hastings. We also saw a Hastings that's living today, the CEO of Netflix, y'all. Uh, kind of pretty important. And interesting, what's interesting to me is that remember Netflix back up in the day, if you are of a certain age as myself, Netflix was the quote, quote, underdog. Because remember when Netflix competition was blockbuster okay I, I know my millennials sweet pea bear with me I know y'all don't know baby I know you don't know you's probably a baby but back in the day when we wanted to look at a movie we had to quote quote rent a movie so we had to get in our car drive to the video store and one of the big video stores that was popular a nationwide chain in the Americas was called Blockbuster. And you had to look on the shelf and 
rent the movie and then bring it back. Now, Netflix was revolutionary because it was new. And what made it different than Blockbuster, you just ordered your movie and they would send you the movie in the mail, honey. Yes, you would look at the movie in the mail. You could keep it as long as you wanted to because with Blockbuster, you could only keep it, I say, uh, one or two days. It could have been three max. And then if you was late, you had to pay late fees, this, that, and the third. And then when it was, yeah, VHS tapes, I'm really dating myself. This is a doggone shame. But it's all right, though. I was, I was a little girl, but I still remember. And if you didn't rewind that puppy, then they charged you. <laughs> so meaning if you didn't rewind that puppy to the beginning... You got charged a fee, all right? This was Blockbuster. But with Netflix, now I don't remember Netflix putting no VHS tapes in the mail. I remember uh, DVDs, okay? So my millennials, y'all should at least remember DVDs. So they would mail the DVDs in the mail to you. You could keep it as long as you want to. But only way you can get another one was when you mail it back. And they gave you pre-postage. So when it was time for you to send it back, they gave you pre-postage and all. So you didn't even have to worry about filling out an envelope and all of that. You just put it back in the envelope, put it in your mailbox, you was straight. That was the first iteration of Netflix. And I remember when that came out, folks were like, oh, no, that's stupid. And I'm like, oh, no, that's brilliant. Because who wants to be bothered with trying to run stuff back and forth to the video when all you could just order your stuff and go to the mailbox? So as the Internet started becoming more popular and the Internet bandwidth became stronger, Netflix started gradually introducing their movies online via the internet where you could watch them on the internet. Now, not all of their catalog was like that, okay? So I'm assuming they had to start converting those movies to digital. So it was only a select few of movies, I remember when that happened, people was like, that's stupid. I'm like, no, you're stupid because that's going to be the future. So now we're going from me not even having to put on my robe and my uh, furry house shoes and walk to the mailbox. Now we're going to, I just have to sit in front of my computer. I, this is brilliant. This is where this needs to go. Okay, so Netflix started taking over the customers or um, the, you know, market share of Blockbuster. Matter of fact, Netflix put Blockbuster out of business. It was a wrap. All right. So, you know, as the they started getting more of the movies online, uh, as the technology got better, 
Why do you think we have televisions today that are able to do these streaming services? It is because I say it's directly linked to Netflix. Directly linked to Netflix. Being ahead of its time, not only being ahead of its time, it set the precedence of where video renting would be. And the other revolutionary thing about Netflix is you pay a subscription service. So you were going from paying from the blockbuster model, which was renting movies. So you rent like $3 for a movie. And I think if it was a new release, it was a little bit more. And then the older ones was like 99 cent. Netflix changed the game totally where you paid, I think when it first came out, don't quote me. I can't remember if it was $7 or $9. Okay. You pay that amount monthly and you got access to the unlimited catalog. So even the pricing model was different. And Netflix changed the game. They created a new market on the way we consumed movies um, and just the concept of streaming. So without a Netflix, there could not have been a Hulu, a Disney Plus, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so now we're at the point, and I talked about this in another podcast on how media is totally being changed, where even cinema in Hollywood will forever be changed because things will be released via streaming. They're already starting to do it instead of releasing things in the theater. And I think the whole um, pandemic help usher this in, instead of releasing things to theaters, brick and mortar theaters, they are now releasing things via streaming. Okay. I've seen some of them released where you can buy the release or rent the release online via streaming. And I've seen it where um, the different streaming services are putting out their releases. Um, I know Disney Plus is one of the ones in the forefront that's doing it a lot. Uh, Recently, over the holiday, HBO has taken it on also uh, with the, the new Wonder Woman. But let's be clear, Netflix was the model for that. Netflix set the standard for that. Okay. Now, what are the odds that that trendsetter is the CEO of Netflix? He is a Hastings, which the Hastings name shows up in a Netflix series called Bridgerton with the Duke of Hastings. And that Hastings name is not fictional. That name goes back to the Battle of Hastings, back to 1066. 
And that is how that particular family name got its connections and earned its titles as barons and dukes. All right. So uh, the other Hastings name that I found was um, Hastings on Hudson in New York. Um, Hastings on Hudson is a village in Westchester County located in the southwest part town of Greenberg in the state of New York. It is located on the eastern bank of the Hudson River, about 20 miles north of Midtown Manhattan in New York City, and is served by a stop on the Metro North Hudson Line. To the north of Hastings on the ha- on the Hudson is the village of Dobbs Ferry. To the south, the city of Yonkers, and to the east, unincorporated parts of Greenboro. As of 2017, ACS five-year population estimate estimated it had a population of 8,900. The town lies on U.S. Route 9 Broadway along the Sawmill uh, River Parkway. All right, so here's the history, y'all. Let me take a swag of my water. <laughs> and by the way, I'm still on Wikipedia, okay? This is uh, the, hist- uh, the Hastings on the Hudson. History. The area that is now Hastings on Hudson was once the home of the Wekapiski and Agonquin tribe. In the summer, the Wekapiskis camped at the mouth of the ravine running under the present Warburton Avenue Bridge. There, they fished, swam, and collected oysters and clamshells used to make wampum. On the level plain nearby, which is now Maple Avenue, they planted corn and possibly tobacco. All right, so they're just giving you the historical mark of what tribe, so it was the Algonquin tribe, inhabited that particular area that was renamed Hastings on Hudson. All right, so pre-1920, around 1650, a Dutch carpenter named Frederick Phillips arrived in New Amsterdam. All right, so just a quick note, just a quick note. The Dutch arrived before England. New York, which York was named after Duke of York, which was King James, Okay, so New York was really named after King James, who's also melanated. He is a steward. Okay, and that steward name also reigns as uh, holding a lot of territory in Europe. Okay, so um, just as a source on that real quick, uh, the Negro Question Part 6. The 13 Black Colonies by Lee Cummings. On page five, he depicts a map of the Stewart Territory. 
And you can see, um, I'll just read this one paragraph. According to the verbal map of Professor Boyd Dawkins, the blacks were pushed into the highlands of Scotland. If you look at the map, you can clearly see the Stuarts clan is named in the highlands and lowlands of Scotland. This is the location of the Black Britons. Okay, and he's saying that the white English pushed westward, according to Professor Boyd Dawson. Our fathers pushed the dark Welsh west into Scotland, Wales, Highlands of Scotland, Cornwall, and Devon. King James VI of Scotland was Stuart Highlander. The writings of Professor Dawkins, the Ships Manifest, and the Memoirs of John Mackey. All right? Okay, so, um, yeah, and also just to note, John Mackey will validate that the 13 British colonies were founded by the Black Scots. All right, okay, so that's another uh, book that's a great source, and he also lists uh, where he got his sources from. Uh, but he wraps it up pretty nicely, and it's an easy, easy read. The Negro Question, Part 6, The 13 Black Colonies by Lee Cummings. You will hear me reference his work a lot uh, just for the fact I love the way he wraps everything up. It's an easy read. Um, he gives you the various sources where you can go pull those original sources as well. All right, so the point of all of that, of what I was trying to say, in Wikipedia, we're back on the Hastings, it says around 1650, a Dutch carpenter named Frederick uh, Phillips arrived in New Amsterdam. New Amsterdam is what New York used to be called because the Dutch had the territory of New Amsterdam. They were doing business. All of that was business. Even today, it is still business. Okay? So, in 1682, Philippe's traded with the Native Americans to, for the area that is now Dobbs Ferry and Hastings on Hudson. In 1693, the English crown granted Philippe's the minor of Philipsburg, which included what is now Hastings on Hudson. After dividing the area into four nearly equal-sized farms, the Philippe's leased them to Dutch, English, and French Huguenot settlers. Right? So I'm trying to give you all a clear picture of how these territories got their name, not only how they got their names, but who was tied to it. Okay? All right? So as you can see, Philippe's, who was Dutch, who remember the Dutch was here before the English. And New York was called New Amsterdam first before it was named New York after the Duke of York, which was King James Stewart. But Philippe's was doing business. They call it Native American. It's not Native American. It's the indigenous Americans 
doing business with those Indians. All right. So he was the one that divided the area and leased them to Dutch, English, and French Huguenot settlers. Okay. Now, if you want to know more about them Huguenots, you can check out uh, two gentlemen. Uh, one gentleman's name is Kuameo, K-U-R-I-M-E-O. Check him out. He does an excellent job on the Huguenots. Five-hour video. You can also check out a gentleman named Legendary Top Cats, T-O-P-C-A-T-Z. He did also a couple of videos talking about the Black Europeans, and he goes into detail on the French Huguenot settlers. All right, so during the American Revolution, what is now Hastings on Hudson lay between the lines of the warring forces and was declared neutral territory. In reality, the area became no man's land and was, and was raided repeatedly by both sides. The minor revolutionary war skirmish known as the Battle of Edgar's Lane was fought in Hastings. Following the revolution, the Philippe's who had been loyal to George III, saw their vast lands confiscated and sold by the newly established American state. In 1785, the four farms comprised today's Hastings on the Hudson's were bought by James DeClark, Jacobus Dykeman, George Fisher, and tavern keeper Peter Post. Around the same time, Westchester County, which had been established as one of the 10 original counties in New York, was divided into towns, and the area is now Hastings-on-Hudson's became part of the town of Greenburg. The village was incorporated in 1879, and its name changed from Hastings-upon-Hudson to Hastings-on-Hudson. Stone quarrying was the earliest industry in Hastings on Hudson from 1865 to 1871. Hundreds of Scottish and Irish laborers blasted quantities of uh, dolomitic marble from a white Westchester marble quarry. Right? So notice they talk about the hundreds of Scottish and Irish laborers. Okay, those laborers came over here on indentured servant contracts. All right, so, uh, and now that's me putting that in there. That Wikipedia ain't put that in there. <laughs> An inclined railroad carried the marble down the, to the quarry wharf where it was dressed by skilled stone cutters and loaded onto ships bound for cities like New York and Charleston, South Carolina. All right. Now, when you um, do your research and also when you, um, if you listen to the two gentlemen, uh, Caramel and uh, Legendary Top Cats, you're going to see the navigation of the French Huguenots 
and how uh, a large vast of them settled in South Carolina and they had a lot of power in South Carolina and they were melanated. So another thing to note, could it be that the particular white marble that they were um, pulling out of that quarry, could it be the white marble um, buildings and jazz that we saw built and we still see today in New York and in South Carolina? All right, so by the 1800s, Hasting Pavement was producing hexagonal paving blocks, which were used extensively in Central Park. Oh, see, they answered it for us, Sister Yao. Yao, child, this is good stuff, y'all. Great stuff. Let me take a swig of my water. By the 1880s, Hasting Pavement was producing hexagonal paving blocks, which were used extensively in Central Park and Prospect Park in Brooklyn between 1895 and 1900. Hasting Pavement produced 10 million such blocks and shipped them throughout the United States to cities in Canada, Brazil, and England. By 1891, the National Conduit and Cable Company had established an operation on the waterfront producing cables for utility companies here and abroad. In 1912, labor strikes between striking workers and their employer, the National Cabling Com Company, and the National Cable and Conduit Company left two striking workers and two bystanders dead. Similar labor unrest occurred in 1916 where the village was put under house arrest. Well, damn, how are you going to put an entire village up under house arrest? Well, during World War I, 200 National Guardsmen were stationed in Hastings on Hudson because of the security interests of the National Conduit Plant and Chemical Plant owned by Frederick G. Zenzier that produced a wood alcohol called Hastings Spirit. 1920s until recent, the Anaconda Copper Company took over National Conduit in 1929 and a few years later acquired the Hastings Pavement property. By the end of World War II, Anaconda owned most of the industrial waterfront. Anaconda closed its Hastings on the Hudson's plant in 1975, bringing to an end the century-long era of heavy industry on the Hastings or Hudson waterfront. The 1926-founded hillside on Hastings Sanitarium and Hospital opened in 1926. They relocated to uh, Glen Oaks in Queens in 1941. Um, okay, and they're just talking about uh Billy Burks, an actress on The Good Witch. Oh, she was the good witch in Wizard of Oz. Okay. Um, so was it she Glenda the Good Witch? But anyway, lived in Hastings on the Hudson and left her property to the school district, which still owns it and uses it for various sports. Benjamin Franklin, 
Goodrich from uh, Ripley in Western New York used real estate profits to purchase the Hudson River Rubber Company, a small business in Hastings on Hudson. The following year, Goodrich relocated the business in Akron, Ohio. Okay, so y'all, this dog on Hastings, this little Hastings on the Hudson, honey, was popping. It was very profitable. It was very lucrative. Okay, and it just shows you once again that that particular um, name, Hastings, that family name, how much pull and connections they had in order to be granted the ability to come over to the Americas. Now, I'm only on the Americas. I didn't go into what they did over in Canada and what they did in Australia and New Zealand and um, and the Caribbeans. I'm just speaking on the Americas. They had to have pretty much clout to be able to have that particular territory named after their family name. And as you can see, a lot of commerce, i.e. business, took place on that, on that track of land. Okay, so the last little thing about this, the Children's Village, a boarding facility for children in difficult circumstances located in neighboring Dobbs Ferry, sold about 50 acres of his property in Hastings on Hudson's to a developer in 1986. The developer was planning to close to 100 homes that will result in traffic on the roads adjoining Hillside Elementary School. Local residents formed a committee called Save Hilson Woods and raised 800K. As a result, the 1987 stock market, stock market crash and subsequent receivership of the bank that held the mortgage on the property, the village purchased the parcel from the FDIC with the funds accumulated and a board floated by the village of Hastings on the Hudson to expand and maintain Hillside Woods. All right, so it was, once again, the Hastings on the Hudson is located in the area of Hills on Hudson River opposite of the Palisades Cliffs, north of the city of Yonkers. The village is bordered by the Hudson River to the west and Sawmill River to the east. The areas facing the Hudson River have views of the Palisade to the west, Manhattan to the south, and Mario Cumo Bridge to the north. According to the United States Census Bureau, the village has a total of 2.9 square miles, of which 2 square miles is land and 9 square miles, or 32%, is water. All right, so that again is just giving kind of the breakdown, the history of the of the Hastings, how far back that name goes. Uh, as we read off a of house of names, it they got their power by helping uh, William King William in 1066 off of the Battle of Hastings. All right, so that particular Hastings relative was able to adopt 
that Hastings name based on the Hastings territory that was granted to him by William. Okay. And that family to this day was able to carry that name um, all across really the Americas and New Zealand and recently in the U.S., they have a Hastings on Hudson, which a bunch of business was done on that particular land, which was, now they didn't say how they got the land from the Algonquin tribe. Because what we know, what they say, now I know we can know if we just go back and look at the battles. But, you know, that was smoothed over conveniently and this. Because all we know is blood, uh, Frederick, Philippe's, he was trading and doing business with the Indians. He arrived in New Amsterdam, which is New York today. So next thing you know, he chopping up the land and granting it, or not even granting it, he's leasing it. So... Let's get that clear understanding. Blood, who is uh, Philippe's Dutch, arrived up in New Haven, New York. He was doing business with the, um, the Indians. What's now called the Hastings on Hudson, really the Algonquin tribe. The Wexakeeks, Wexakeeks, I know I'm not pronouncing that right, right. That was their territory where they fished, swam, collected oysters, clamshell. And what the hell is wampum? Let me look at that. What is wampum? Oh, oh, wow, that is beautiful. Wampum is a traditional shell bead. Eastern Woodland Tribe of the Native Americans. It, it, it includes white shell beads and fashion from the North Atlantic uh, Channel. Wow, it's really pretty. I did not know that. I learned something new. So basically, they was minding a business, collecting oysters, um, clam shells, and this wampum shell. And they said possibly planted corn and tobacco. And then next thing you know, Philippe's is dividing up their land and leasing it to other folks, to the Dutch, to the English, to the French Huguenot settlers. Then, of course, war broke out again. And uh, the Philippe's was uh, cool with George III, and George wind up pretty much stabbing him up in the back and took the territory from him, and guess where that territory went to? His boy, Hastings. Because that Hastings name reigned before George was alive, and whoever that Hastings is that he gave the particular territory to for the purpose of managing that territory for business to bring the profits back to the crown. 
So after the war, um, I'm sure Philippe thought he was, you know, in there good because him and George was cool. George politely took it on from him and gave it to his boys now, who goes back far with his family now, the Hastings. But out of all of this, they took it from the Algonquin tribe. So they took this particular land and everybody has been profiting still to this day, kicking and having a good old funky time. Okay? Pulling marble up out of the land, building all of these structures that we see today, sending stuff down to Charleston, South Carolina, and if you go back and look at early pictures in Charleston, South Carolina in the 1800s, you're going to see those Greek Roman structures. And this is why we tell you all, if you pay attention to the architecture, you pay attention to the names, it tells you the story. Okay? All the way to that material is, you know, was even used today in Central Park, Prospect Park, Prospect Park Brooklyn, Canada, and England. So this particular European kingdom profited off of stolen land from the Algonquin tribe. All right? And the, the Hastings name that particular lineage was granted the territory to manage business on behalf of George III. All right. So I just wanted to give you all just kind of insight, uh, not only of um kind of put it into perspective of how the names tie back together, all right? So one last thing, I almost forgot to share one last thing um, for with you because I want you to get a, even a little bit more insight into the whole town of Hastings. History of Hastings, New York. Um, this is from the landmarks of Owego County, Town of Hastings. The town of Hastings, the 13th survey township of Scriba Patton, was set off from Constantinia on April 20th, 1825. It was originally called Breda by the patentee George Scribia from a town and fortress in the province of New Barbant, Netherlands, 26 miles southeast of Rottendam, his native place. Upon its civil formation, it took by common consent the name of Hastings from Hastings uh, Curtis, its most distinguished citizen, a name which has ever since born. Mr. Scriba conveyed the title of the entire town to Art P. Schuyler, 
who transferred it to Philip A. Schuyler, who in turn conveyed it to Jacob Mark. On April 15, 1800, Mr. Mark conveyed the title of three-fourths of the tract, or 22,000 acres, to Solomon Townsend and Samuel Jones as trustee. One half of this was subsequently transferred to James one Roosevelt. All right, so um, just real quick. Now, remember when we read before, uh, when we were reading out of the Battle of Hastings, that battle took place in 1066 between the um, Norman French army and the England English army of Anglo-Saxon, okay? So now this particular one is uh, what I'm reading to you about the town of Hastings. It's giving you another kind of paperwork, paper trail of giving land patents and authorizations. Um, so I'm just going to see how much more of this I'm going to lay forward for you all. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay. Uh, where are we at? Where are we at? Bear with me, family. I'm trying to save from a lot of reading. That's what's not necessary to read. Okay. We don't need to know the exact territory. All right. Um, for many years constituted an important industry, giving existence to numerous sawmills and other kindred establishment and employment to scores of workmen. The manufacture of barrels for the Syracuse salt, salt market and Oswego flour trade was also extensively prosecuted in the 1860s. There were 18 sawmills in active operation at the present there are only five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get to it. Okay. Where are we at here? All right. I'm just trying to get through this to make it make sense for us. Um. Okay. So, how they talk about the Oneida River. Uh, bear with me, family, and try to make sure if this makes sense for me to even go through this. Okay, yeah, I'm not going to go through this. It's it's just, um, again, giving the names um, of who was managing the first settlement. And we kind of already know that. Um, I'm just going to check something real quick just to make sure because I don't want to lie up on nobody. I do see another interesting name in here I want to share um, because they, they are talking about New York, um, Oswego County. Um, I'll read this part. This might make sense, sense for everybody. Uh, the first settlements in the town of Hastings was likewise the first in Oswego County, the pioneers being Oliver Stevens, um, who first who came to abandon Fort uh, Brewerton in 1789, built a rude log house and began trading with the Indians. He also kept a tavern for accommodating the numerous lakes and river boatmen. 
He had many exciting adventures and some thrilling escapes from wild, wild beasts and savages. Now, this was going to get you out now. The latter, the latter appeared so dangerous that he applied for and obtained authority from Governor Clinton, Clinton or Clinton, in 1794 to build a blockhouse after the expense of the state. So again, y'all see how all of these names, these surnames go back. These people that's holding these positions of power with these surnames, they didn't get there just on pure luck. Their lineage must trace back. Now, could I be wrong that this particular governor, Clinton, is tied to these particular folks? I could be wrong. Okay, whatever. I find it highly coincidental. Okay, um, so I'm trying to see if I want to talk about anything else in here. Um, but anyhow, you can read through it, and it also talks about um, all of the other surnames that was connected to this particular territory and how this territory was connected to other lines of business that was done. But bottom line, all of this was about commerce, and commerce on the lands of the Americas <coughs> using the resources of the Americas and where the indigenous people, the Indians, were not benefiting. Okay, so if you want to read this whole thing, this is called The History of Hastings, New York, from the landmarks of um, Oswego County. I'm not going to read all of it because it was doing a little bit too much twist and turns for me, but I knew it was one little bombshell I wanted to throw in there. Okay, family, so I hope that you have gotten a lot out of this, uh, out of our series, Illusions, where we kind of did a high-level review of Bridgington, the main, the Netflix series. The main reason I brought it into play was not so much to go over the details of that series, but was to really focus on the surname Hastings and also call out how Queen Charlotte was depicted as a melanated woman, which she is. Um, also, what should have been depicted as melanated and wasn't because that would be too telling would be her husband George but he was also melanated but also in the series the Duke of Hastings is depicted as melanated uh, hence I wanted to give you the content of how far back that Hastings name goes and to just note in that series Bridgerton that that Hastings, Duke of Hastings, they were actual, real. And how the Hastings today is linked as the CEO of Netflix, hence who funded the series Bridgerton. 
So I hope you enjoyed uh, this particular series, Illusion, on WTUZ Radio Podcast. Uh, we are a family of Truth Uncompromised Media Network. You can catch us on YouTube Live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. And I want to thank you all very much. And again, this is in memory to Brother Kells. Peace and love.